Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. What is up, everybody? We are back. It is Tuesday. I just drank a massive coffee, so I'm going to be on one here for a while. Uh, welcome in to the BSM Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. As always, I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and I'm really excited to talk some buffs today because Mel Tucker has me hyped. So hyped. And he does this every day. And honestly, I wonder if he's like, taking years off of my life by getting like my heart racing getting me so pumped up every single day or if this is like healthy almost to be like living my life this high energy because i'm listening to all these words that mel tucker says but before we jump into how incredible as always mel tucker was today uh i'm gonna tell you just a little bit about our friends at canyon bakehouse um their delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods are made right here in Johnstown, Colorado. Uh, Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisles or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. All right. Uh, I was up in Boulder this morning, as was our good friend Ryan Konigsberg. Uh, we had a blast, as always. Uh, today was press conference day. That's what Tuesdays are, at least for Saturday games. They move that, or no, it's always Tuesdays for press conferences. It's everything else that shifts around based on whether the game's on a Friday or a Saturday. So that means that after practice, um, how did how am I forgetting? <laughs> After practice, we heard from Tyson Summers and we heard from Alex Changham at the podium right outside the gate there. And then about an hour later at the press conference, we heard from the actually the head volleyball coach started things off and it was interesting to hear what he had to say. Uh, and then he was followed by Steven Montez, and then Montez was followed by Davion Taylor, and then Davion was followed by Mel Tucker, who closed things down and deserved to be the headliner because, I don't know, he's, he's just the kind of guy who should be in a room full of 20, 30 people just saying whatever comes to his mind. You know, if I, I was telling Ryan after the press conference that if Mel Tucker ever leaves Boulder, it better be because he is going to be president of the United States. Like, that's the kind of regard that I hold him in. Because when you hear him speak, it's just incredible. You know, there have been the videos circulating of uh, his pregame speech, his, the, his speech at halftime, all this kind of stuff. But seriously, if, if you haven't heard this guy talk, you need to tune in. And I think today would be a, a great chance to do that because he, he was on one. He, he, he had so many things that he felt he needed to say. I'm not sure if all this is off the top of his head or if he's thinking about it beforehand, but my goodness is it impressive. And if I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking about it. Uh, and if you guys want to hear it for yourselves, I, I considered cutting it up and putting it on the pre uh, or on, on the podcast today, just so that you guys could hear it here. But I figured that since it is so easy to access those clips, you know, the Buffs football t uh, Twitter page has it. The Facebook page has it. Uh, a bunch of other places have it, too. I'm not sure exactly where else. But those two, for sure, you can go to to find 
the video of today's press conference um, for all three, actually, not just Mel. But you should probably check it out because, I don't know, it's just amplified by the fact that he doesn't speak loudly. It's all just this soft, well-thought-out... I mean, he's using words that I, I'm i struggling to type. Like, I'm struggling to spell. And, and there's a bunch of little one-liners, too. Like, he said, behavior precedes success. Like, that's something that you could put up on any wall of any college football building. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of thing that you paint on a wall and say, behavior precedes success. Mel Tucker. You know? And, and right before that, not, not 30 seconds before that, he said, it takes what it takes, and that's non-negotiable. Like, all these little, almost cheesy one-liners, but they're very... They're new. They aren't cliches because nobody's ever said them before. You know, human nature is to relax. What we're doing is not always what's the easiest to do. You know, all this little stuff. It's, it's always interesting to see how the guys are going to come in on the Monday at, after any game. Win, lose, or draw. Yesterday, I felt the sense of urgency that I was looking for. Not, not a one-liner, but still great insight. I'm actually just scrolling through my Twitter page and reading to you guys, which is a, a weird thing to be doing, but I think it's valuable, so we're going to keep going. Uh, I know these guys believe in what we're doing. I know they'll play hard for one another. I know they're unselfish. I know this is important to them. Uh, you know, he's talking about how he has a bunch of coaches on his staff who have played triple option teams, whether uh, at Georgia Tech, you know, Tyson Summers actually played Air Force while, when was that? That was probably 2015, I believe, when he was with Colorado State as their defensive coordinator. And so Mel's talking about that and says, it's not what you know, it's what the players know and what they can execute in the fourth quarter. Uh, oh, This one, I think, is what's most interesting because... It's a bit of a launching off point, and it's something that I want to dig into just a little bit more uh, because it's it's similar to the LaVisca Chenault returning debate where is it worth the injury? Are you really getting enough out of it to be putting him in that situation? Um, and here's what Mel Tucker said today. He said, when you prepare for a team like Air Force, the look you get from your scout team is critical. We live cut in practice just like Air Force. They cut in games, so we cut in practice. There's nothing fun about that. And what he's talking about is cut blocks. And, you know, that's that's when the offensive linemen just dive at the knees of whoever they're supposed to be blocking, whether it's a defensive lineman, whether it's a linebacker. And it's a dangerous play. You know, one of the famous myths or legends uh, about uh, the – Barber brothers, Tiki and Rondé Barber, Tiki Barber the running back, Rondé Barber the uh, cornerback, is that there was a play call in practice, either in college or high school, when the coach said, Tiki, go cut block Rondé. And Tiki said, I'm not going to do that. Because he, he knew that there's a high risk of blowing out a guy's knee when you cut block him. Even though it's what's easiest or not maybe it's not the easiest way to stop somebody in some situations it is the best way and basically you just dive at a guy's knees and knock him down and tiki said i'm not going to do that so i it's it's interesting that mel's having his guys cut block in practice he's having the scout team dive at the knees of his starting defenders um I think I like it. I think that it makes sense because if if you don't have experience beating cut blocks, how are you going to be able to do it when you first see them in the game? You know? And if that's if that's one of the key pieces of this offense, which it is, then you you do have to simulate that even though there is a serious injury risk um and outside of the injury risk, you risk pissing off these defensive players who you're you're saying like guys people are diving at your knees and that's my call i am the one making this decision to risk an injury to you um 
but still i think i like it i think that it makes sense to be practicing this because they are going to see it in a game and like we heard over and over today kind of like what we were talking about yesterday is that this isn't a trap game this is a real football game and somebody actually asked mel like you know you you played for georgia you or not you played for georgia you coached for georgia a good football program you weren't always playing great football teams how do you navigate trap games and you could see mel <laughs> mel get a little bit angry that somebody was calling this a trap game because it isn't uh he always likes to say you know every football team in the country has good players and good coaches maybe they don't have as many as uh some of the stronger programs but they still have those guys and you can't forget about them you can't look past them otherwise they will beat you and it isn't i don't know i think here's here's one of the quotes uh he said uh I think that it's common knowledge that every week you have a game. I don't care who you're playing. Everybody's got guys. Everybody's got players and coaches. Uh, and so that's kind of how he navigated that. Uh, kind of saying, and then he did go on to say that's not a trap game. It's, it's a big week. It really is a big week. Uh, I think Mel called it a gut check, and I agree because it's easy. It's easy to get up for Nebraska, and this is a pretty cheesy thing to say. It isn't quite as easy to get up for Air Force. But, like Mel said, Air Force has the, uh, what do you call it? the strongest belief factor of any team in the country. You know, cause, because that's what they are. They're, they're undersized guys. They're guys who generally weren't recruited to bigger schools. A lot of them, this was their only Division One offer. And so they, they all have that chip on their shoulder, but then you throw in that these are military cadets as well. Like, these are guys who are constantly at the top of their game. They're never slacking off. You, you I mean, maybe this is idealizing them just a little bit, but they're not guys that you ex- have to worry about going out and partying on Friday night before a game because that's just not in their blood. That's not what that team is. They're 100% heart. Plus, they have a coaching staff that knows how to put them in good situations. Um, and that's what makes them a scary football team. That's what makes them a football team that you you have to be at the top of your game to beat. And it isn't because you can sleep on them and it'll make up for the talent gap. It's because they put themselves in the right position every single time. And that makes them play better than their their star ratings would have you think um so that's a lot of what we learned today you know we we talked with everybody else and they they said a lot about uh, mel's halftime speech that was a common theme how he just came in i think uh steven said that mel was cool as a cucumber and that's just kind of his vibe which is true uh love seeing steven (laughs) say things like that he's a he's such a cool great guy uh i don't know that that was a little little i don't know i really do respect steven he seems like a bright guy his humor comes from a good place it isn't look at me i'm just some goony kid it he really is a smart guy he knows that calling somebody cool as a cucumber is going to get you know half a laugh here or there it's I've been impressed. You know, you hear about the maturity issues, and that's that was one of the big things about him that people told me before I got into Boulder. And I kind of see how it could play that way, and maybe he was more like that. There's also been plenty of people saying that he's changed a lot recently. But I've been impressed. I I think that he very much is in control. I mean, on the field, we can criticize him if we want. Uh we definitely can, you know, and he would too. The second half of last week was much stronger than his first half, and the same thing was true the week before. And that's something that needs to change. Um, but you know, the, his his attitude, his demeanor, I really like. I, I I really do. You know, there are still times where I think, like back in Montana, I was covering Dalton Sneed, who's just the most intense 
man, I think, or at least the most intense football player. There have been some coach. I mean, who's more intense than Mel? But he's probably the most intense player that I've covered. And I think that there's a lot to gain from that. And I think maybe it would help Steven to take a half step in that direction. But, you know, I I think that his personality is one that can really play in a, in a football locker room. And I think that that's what's really important. Uh, that was a bit of a tangent. Uh, talking to Alex Changham, you know, he just kept repeating uh, discipline. Same thing with Mel. Same thing with Tyson Summers. Same thing with Davion Taylor. Uh, and that's that's so true that this week is all about discipline. It's not going to be a fun game for the defense. They don't get to fly around the same way that they might against a Nebraska or pretty much any other team in the country, you know? There will be times when you get to call blitzes and just everybody fires, everybody goes to the quarterback. Um, well, not everybody, but you know what I mean. Uh, you see you see somebody go, getting open downfield and you just get to sprint and hit them. The, the point in a play when Air Force has the ball where you actually get to turn on the burners and try to go hit somebody comes two seconds in. You know, they fake the handoff. The quarterback runs the ball outside. He reads the defensive or he reads the outside linebacker to decide whether to pitch it. And then he pitches the ball. And then you actually get to go charge the guy with the ball and make a play. And that's not how football usually works. We aren't going to get quite as into the triple option as we did yesterday. I think we probably got that covered for the week. But that's a huge difference. And that takes an adjustment, especially for college kids. You know, it's it's a lot easier to tell a 30-year-old NFL guy, like, hey, be patient. Don't overcommit early. Just sit back. Understand that the play for you really doesn't start until a second and a half, two seconds in. And then you go get the ball. College kids, they want to go hit. And that's going to be a challenge this week. Um, it's time to take a second now and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer. Uh, established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, or most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer that you guys are going to love called Strawberry Sky. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a light-hearted Kolsch ale, but for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we will be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Okay, into the second segment of the Tuesday edition, right? Yeah, Tuesday of uh, the BSM Buffs podcast. And we're going to get into some Pac-12 talk because we haven't really had a chance to do that uh, for a while now. And I think it's important that we all get on the same page about what's going on around the conference and where the Buffs stack up. Um, and to start, I kind of want to go through the AP rankings because the national perspective is important. You know, it doesn't mean quite as much as some other things do, but it is always good to know how Colorado is viewed around the country. And I think that having read through some other, like, national power rankings, that sort of stuff, a lot of the reasons that people are low on Colorado is because it's Colorado. And it's been so long. I mean, if, if you don't include 2016... Uh, since they've really had a strong season, since they've been somebody that you have to worry about playing. Um, and I think that that's really holding them back um, nationally just because, you know, USC has that name recognition where if they flash something, it's easier to say, wow, well, they're, they're back to what they're going to be. Whereas if Colorado ends up being a strong team this year, an eight, nine win team, then that's going to be more of a surprise. Uh, so let's get started. Um, in the AP poll, Colorado was the seventh team out of the top 25, which pretty much put them at 32nd. 
uh, in the country, which honestly is probably a little bit high considering the opponents they've played. But it's exciting. Uh, in the coaches' poll, they were the 12th team out, so 37th. Um, what's more interesting to me than those is the uh, the teams that are ahead of the Buffs in the AP poll. And actually, it's the same in the AP poll and the coaches' poll. Uh, Utah is the highest-rated Pac-12 team. Then Oregon, Washington State, Washington, USC, and Cal. Um, and then Stanford is just behind Colorado in the AP poll. And then the poll kind of cuts off in the coaches' poll, so you don't really know. But that's kind of how things stack up. And I think that that is a pretty fair representation of where the Pac-12 is right now. I think having watched the first couple weeks of games, I still think that Utah is the team to beat in the Pac-12. You know, the, the South isn't nearly as strong as the North throughout the conference, but Utah is still the number one team. Uh, their last week, they didn't blow out uh their opponent they didn't blow out northern illinois it was kind of late that they pulled away you know 35 17 same thing against byu they didn't they didn't show that they were a team that's just going to put up a bunch of points and gra- or you know shut a team out early and keep them down they, they they aren't that kind of team they're a defensive team and i was actually talking to andre about this yesterday and what i see there is something kind of like the broncos when they had that super bowl year when they were winning games by 7 points, 10 points, 14 points, you know, not not very much, but you still felt confident that they were going to win. You know, you watch them play, and even if it was a one-score team and, and their opponent got the ball back with three, four minutes left, you were thinking, well, there's no way they're actually going to go down the field and win this game. And that's what I see from Utah. And that's something that, I don't know, it, it's tough to say really early on that that is who Utah is because you kind of have to see that storyline play out throughout a year. It's not like um, it's not like Washington State putting up 59 points on Northern Colorado and that's it. Same thing with Oregon putting up 77 on Nevada, only giving up six points. Like it's easy to see how those teams could be very strong, but I do think that Utah throughout the year will just keep racking up these wins and we'll have people saying like, oh, if, if they're this good, why aren't they winning by more? And be, It's because it's just not their style of play. Uh, so Utah, number one, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, then after Utah, it gets interesting. I think that Oregon probably has to be that number two team. You know, they lost week one to Auburn, but Auburn's the best opponent that any of these teams in the Pac-12 have played this year. And even though they lost, they were right there until the very end, and they really could have won that game. It speaks to, again, kind of the weakness of this Pac-12 conference that, you know, the the, the best second-best team in the Pac-12 didn't beat, you know, the fourth-best team, maybe, fifth-best team in the SEC. And I think that Oregon gets knocked a little bit too much for that loss just because... That was the matchup. It was like the five versus the two, and you'd think the two should win, and if they don't, then they probably aren't the two. But I think in this case, that's just where the Pac-12 is. Their second-best team isn't quite as strong. And like I said, they played them even. It really probably could have gone either way. Um, But Justin Herbert, he's been good, you know, but he hasn't looked like what you'd want him to look like you know I know Dre's been low on him and maybe that's kind of influencing my take as well but for somebody who was supposed to be a top three pick if he declared last year coming back he should do more and like as I say that you know he did put up five touchdowns um in this week's game the 77-6 win over Nevada but Nevada isn't a super strong team you know they're they're probably top half of the mountain west and they play my montana grizzlies this saturday and as much as i'd like to say that's going to be a fun game to watch it's going to be competitive it probably isn't they're gonna blow the doors off of montana because that's 
what Oregon does against those teams. The question is going to be what happens when they get into conference play because they had their opportunity. If they come out and beat Auburn, they probably are the number one team just because they have that great win. To me, though, you just haven't seen enough. Just haven't seen enough to put them up there. And that's why they're number two. And this might be a kind of hot take, but I think that Washington, you could make an argument, is ahead of them. And I know, you know, Washington lost to California uh, 20 to 19. Yeah, tw- I think it was 20 to 19 this weekend, which is a worse loss, definitely, than Auburn. But Washington. I just trust that they will get it figured out because that's they've they've been one of the best teams in the Pac-12 conference for a while now. You know, they lost the game, but they definitely looked like the better team, I think, uh, especially in the first half. They just didn't put up the points, which is concerning for sure, and that's why they dropped down to number three. But there's still a lot to like there. They have Jacob Eason, and Jacob Eason has looked like everything that you wanted him to. And even though their record is 1-1 one and one with n- not a great loss, to be honest, I I really do think that they pull it together, and it becomes uh, probably a three-team race for the Pac-12 again, barring injuries, you know, knock on wood, but Utah, Oregon, Washington still a pretty safe bet that it's one of those teams that's going to come out on top after those three is where it really gets interesting you know you could say Washington State because they've looked pretty good although they haven't played any real competition you know you have Cal who beat Washington you know you have USC who even though they're without JT Daniels all year they also have that Keaton Slovis kid who looks pretty awesome for a true freshman you know put up 45 points on Stanford although this isn't you know the greatest Stanford team and Stanford was also without their quarterback KJ Costello it's it's a race and the Colorado Buffaloes are right in there and I think that any one of those teams that you want to say is up next you could I'm gonna go with USC Washington State Colorado Cal yeah, I think so. I think that that's your four, five, six, seven. USC, Washington State, Colorado, Cal. And after this week, I really do think that, I mean, this is going to be a battle for, for those few teams all year, just kind of bouncing around, changing spots. And the, the great part for the Buffs is that if you look at what's in front of them, you have Utah, number one, I think, uh, USC, and then Colorado, that puts them third in the Pac-12 South. You know, USC, if this was like a one-time great performance from the true freshman quarterback, they could drop off. You know, Utah, maybe they don't live up to the hype. Maybe they haven't been blowing teams out because they really aren't that good. And then all of a, all of a sudden, Colorado really is in that conversation to be your Pac-12 champion, or at least the Pac-12 South champion, and get a chance to play in Oregon or a Washington there's definitely a path for Colorado to be one of the top teams in the Pac-12. It's just really early, and as of right now, I'm not willing to bet on that, and I don't think that that's too hot of a take. Behind that group, uh, you have Stanford. Without KJ Costello, and again, when he comes back, and he will come back, it changes, it changes things. The 45-20 to 20 loss to USC, though, uh, that was that Saturday night game. I was able to get back home in time to catch part of it. Even without their quarterback, you you got to keep it closer against USC. You know, and that's, that's why I have them outside. You know, we have that first tier, Utah, Oregon, Washington. Then you have the second tier, uh, USC, Washington State, Colorado, Cal. And then I think Stanford's in a tier of its own before you jump down to the bottom feeders. Arizona State, Arizona, UCLA. Um, Arizona State, the top of the bunch, just because I like Jaden Daniels. I thought he looked good week one. Um, But he didn't look as good week two. And he's a true freshman quarterback. 
And that's something that's going to happen. There will be up games and down games, and you really just can't rely on him at this point to get you up into that competitive tier because, you know, that second tier is going to be very competitive. All these teams will be playing at their best when they play each other, and they aren't going to be winning or losing based on whether they're up or down for that game because I really do think that those are teams that will bring their best every week, and it's just tough to tell whose best is better you know and Arizona State they're just behind that group the offensive line doesn't look as good as we thought it would you know Benjamin's still really good but unless Jaden Daniels is on his game they aren't going to be competing with that group of teams and we saw this week when they lost 19 to 7 or no they won 19 to 7 over Sacramento State an FCS team and at halftime this was a toss-up you know, for a lot of this game, I don't think there were any points scored until pretty late in the second quarter, if I remember correctly. This was that Friday night game. It's it's ugly. It's really ugly. Um, 3-0 at halftime. There it is. I found that score. It's it, That just can't happen. That can't happen. And if you're putting that performance up ever, then you don't get to be in that tier that could be competing for a Pac-12 title if things break their way. And that's what that second tier is. Arizona, 65-41 over Northern Arizona, another Big Sky Conference school, FCS school. But that comes after losing to Hawaii. And going out to the island is tough. And we know it's tough. And we've heard that it's tough. And it's something that teams really don't like to do. But playing two non-Power 5 games, coming out 1-1, one and one, Khalil Tate doesn't look like I'd hoped, I know for Buffs fans, you probably don't want him to look too great because that opens things up a little bit more in the Pac-12 South, but he's a guy that I was really excited to see, and after seeing him these first two weeks, he doesn't look like anything special, which is disappointing because he was going to be a lot of fun to watch in Boulder, was that three, four weeks from now, four weeks from now, I think, um, so that's number 11, Arizona in my book, uh, no, number 10. I keep forgetting about Oregon State. Oregon State is number 11. They lost to Hawaii as well. They're just never good. And we're running long in this segment, so I'm going to move along to UCLA. And with UCLA, I'm losing hope. You know, I, I thought Chip Kelly might just take a while to get things figured out, turn that program around, get them moving in the right direction. You know, now he has... Uh, sophomore quarterback Dorian Robinson Thompson who I thought would take a step he isn't taking a step this UCLA team looks just as bad as it did last year Chip Kelly now that now the narratives are coming back about how you know he inherited a good program at Oregon and sure he took him to the next level sure he was the guy that won the national championship to, did they win one yeah they won one uh took them to the play playoff, you know, they weren't far away before that. And then he leaves to go coach the Philadelphia Eagles and nothing good really happens there. And then he tries to rebuild this UCLA team. It's, it's not good. And I've kind of lost faith in this rebuild. And so that's kind of how I have things stacking up. You have Utah, Oregon, Washington, uh, I think all competing for the number one spot in the Pac-12. I think those are your Pac-12 title contenders. I think Utah has a pretty clear path to the Pac-12 title game. Again, it's early. The Buffs could be in that conversation. Um, Oregon and Washington will have a chance to really... You, you know, that's going to be a fun race to watch through the Pac-12 North to see who gets the chance to play in that game. And then you have that next year tier, USC, Cal, uh, Washington State, Colorado. All four of those teams are right there. Uh, and, and Stanford could jump up in there once KJ Costello gets back, but they just haven't looked good enough without him to really be in that conversation. And then you have the bottom feeders, Arizona State, Arizona, Oregon State, UCLA, and there's just tough to see any light at the end of the tunnel for any of those teams. So 
Colorado really does have a shot, I think, to make a run at the Pac-12 title game. It's just, it, they, they need some good breaks. They need some good wins. They uh, might even need something bad to happen to this Utah team. Knock on wood, you never want to cheer for that. But that's kind of their path. Uh, I think straight up, they don't win the Pac-12 South, but you can see you can see how it would happen. Um, it's time now to take a second and talk about some game-changing coffee. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, uh, back pain, arthritis. It's taken away IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it, it's done it. Uh, CBD is all natural and it is not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and it's tasty and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Weinster is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Weinster, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Weinster is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. All right. Time to move along into the final segment of today's show. And we're going to be reading comments. And both the comments that I've seen, uh, not high on the triple option offense is the general theme here. So we'll jump back into that uh, just a little bit. And the first question that we're going to read comes in from B-Mixer. Don't really think it is the best offense ever. Many programs ran the triple option but went away from it because with teams with good defensive linemen and linebacker play, it is one-dimensional and can be shut down. I also would not trust a thing Houck says after watching him coach here in Boulder in the 90s. I think this will be a tough game because Air Force will get some yards, but no matter how you look at it, CU does have more talent, and in the end, it will prevail. I mean, I disagree, and, and we've talked about why yesterday. You know, more teams did run it in the past, and there are a couple reasons why it's really faded away. At least this is my take on it. Um, and the biggest is that the players really don't want to run the triple option offense. You know, when they have the option. The, uh, here's, the, here's the big story. I mean, a few years ago when Arizona State was contemplating a transition to the triple option offense, Khalil Tate went to Twitter. Did I say Arizona State? I meant Arizona. Uh, Khalil Tate went on Twitter and said, I didn't go to Arizona to play triple option offense and he deleted the tweet, but that's, that's a very real sentiment. You know, it does make players one dimensional. Uh, he doesn't, a triple option quarterback almost has no shot of going to the NFL because they don't get to show it. They can throw the ball. You know, you look at air force's first game, uh, this season, they've only played one. They played Colgate 17 different players ran the ball. They completed one pass. I, I they might have only attempted one pass. Now that I think of it, it's f and it went for forty-one yards. You know that's what that offense is, and that's not a way to get yourself into the NFL because it's kind of that gimmick offense. Early on, there was a lot of resistance to pushing air raid players into the NFL because again, gimmick offense. And once teams started moving away from the triple option uh, in the nineties. 
they had more success recruiting. And so all of a sudden when, you know, this, these aren't the real numbers, but if it was a 50-50 split, teams would rather go to the, fi- or players would rather go to the 50% of teams that didn't run the triple option offense uh, than the others that did. But there are so many teams that did that it didn't put those teams at too much of a disadvantage because players didn't have all that many better options. As a couple of teams moved away, players had better options uh, to go to school and better offenses they could play in. And so they were able to get away from the triple option more. And that just kind of kept going and going and cycling and spiraling until all of a sudden we are where we are now. And while that was happening, fewer coaches wanted to learn the triple option offense because they they saw that the talent was moving away from those schools. They weren't interested, and all of a sudden they had the choice to not be in those offenses if they didn't want to. And so they stopped learning it. And so now there really aren't that many coaches that know how to run it, even if they wanted to. You know, I can tell you guys how it works but the nuance and the detail and the way that they think the game and the way that they know how to pick on all these different things, like it's what it reminds me when I was an econ major, there was an econ class and they said that if I go and get my undergrad degree, then I will know 90% of what every uh, economist knows. And then if I get my master's, it'll get up to 99%. And if I get my doctorate, it gets up to 100% because it's so easy to get these beginning parts, but getting to that very end where you actually understand all these super deep nuanced things, you know, that last bit, that last 1% takes three years. And that's what happens in this offense as well, where there's so many complexities. You really need to spend the time with a coach who really knows it. You can't just pick it up on tape and guess you know, you have to spend the time. And so teams don't or coaches don't even have the option to run it because it does take that long to learn. And they just aren't as interested. They'd rather go, you know, the Broncos, Rich Gangarello. He's coaching an FCS offense and decides, you know what? I want to learn the Kyle Shanahan offense. And so he says, let's move to Atlanta to tell Kyle Shanahan I'll just be an assistant I don't need much money. I can. I, th- I think it's a crazy story, the little tiny studio he lived in. He might not have even gotten paid now that I think of it. But he went down there, learned the offense, proved to Kyle that he knew it. And so when Kyle got the head job in San Francisco, Scangarello followed him out there as quarterback's coach and then this year got the job as the Broncos offensive coordinator. You know, because he wanted to learn that offense. And that's what it takes to learn these things. And there are just fewer coaches who are willing to put in the sacrifices to learn these offenses because they're getting options. Good football coaches, if, if they're l- trying to decide whether to f- follow Lincoln Riley and learn what he's doing or learn what Troy Calhoun's doing at Air Force, they don't want to know the triple option nearly as much as they want to know this other offense because that's what's valuable right now. Um, and that's what teams are emphasizing. And so that's another reason why it's really dying and why you're not seeing more of it. Um, one more reason that you're not seeing more of it is that as it, it's kind of gone back to its roots as being an equalizer offense where you aren't looking for versatility. You're looking for people who can do this one job and do it well. And so if you're... If you have talented, versatile players who can do a whole bunch of different things, then you can pull in concepts from this offense. And that's kind of what you're seeing. You know, even if the traditional triple option offense out of the flex bone is dying, you're still seeing these triple option concepts popping up in new ways around college football. Uh, Everything is kind of built off of this over the last 30 years. And very recently you've seen a, more of a push to run these option concepts even even when you're looking at what the chiefs did last year on offense they're they're running that option where uh you line Travis Kelsey up at H back and you can flip the shovel up to him that way like all these concepts all these new concepts not all of them but a lot of them are coming from 
the the triple option offense. Um, and it is turning into more of a relic for all these different reasons, but it is still something that a lot of coaches will pull from, something that's very influential around college football. You just don't get to see the pristine triple option offense nearly as much as you used to. Um, move on to the next comment from SMCP value. Okay. We're going, we're going, let's just go SMCP VALU. I don't know. Henry, <laughs> this is a dumb take. If the Air Force offense was good, then good coaches or good teams would use it. They don't, and the reason is because it doesn't work against teams that can stop the run and leaves your offense unprepared to defend the forward pass since you never practice against it. The Buffs will put 60 on this team. The antique gimmick offense the Air Force uses won't score that many. I agree that the Buffs are going to win this game. I'm, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a number on it on Friday probably. But, I mean, the Vegas line opened with the Buffs at home as one-and-a-half-point favorites, moved to three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'll say that they win by more than that, but I think I answered most of this. Dumb take, fair, we all have our own opinions. Uh, you know, I think, I think that part of it is that the people who are into the triple option offense, you know, they swear by it. They follow it almost religiously. They put it up as this like great, what every football program should build toward, you know, similar, similar to the air raid, similar to followers of the air raid who, who swear by it, who say there is no better offense ever than the air raid. And, both of them have been very influential. I mean, you look at the what the Patriots have done, and a lot of what they've done in New England is pulling from that air raid offense where it's all these simple passing concepts. You let the quarterback just read the defense, pick up five yards, dink and dunk down the field, take shots when they're available, but the stems of these routes, the first one or two seconds of the play, you don't know which of their plays it will be because they all look the same and it's not a very wide playbook it's all about just running these passing concepts you know these route combinations that work against cover two work against cover three work against man whatever it might be uh you let the quarterback read it you run a play that beats that uh defense the the play looks the exact same as all these other plays for the first second and then everybody breaks at the same time and then boom, you just hit the guy who's open and you probably know who's going to be open beforehand, uh, which is a great idea. And some people would say that that's the greatest offense ever created. You could go back to the run and shoot because that's been so influ influential. You know, that Air Coriel, all this stuff, triple option is right in there. And the way that it has been... You know, it hasn't been timeless. There was an era where it was what everybody was doing. It was the hot new thing. Just like, you know, right now that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay uh, offense that's kind of been around for the 90s, they've just tweaked it a little bit, thrown in some option concepts. Honestly, that's a lot of it is those RPOs, those read options. Um, but that's that Gruden-Shanahan offense that was around from the 90s that stemmed from what the 49ers did with the West Coast offense. They really tweaked a few things, and all of a sudden it's become this unstoppable offense in the NFL, maybe a little bit overhyped, and in two, three years, maybe everything has totally changed. Maybe everything has gone more air raid, or maybe it's back to power football because of you know the speed that everybody's putting on defense they're able to run with tight ends and running backs these hybrid players and so the only way to beat them is to line up and be bigger and just power through them because they're not big and strong they're fast lean athletes on the defensive side so everything has like these ebbs and flows where it's in now and that same offense was in in the 90s and it's just kind of developed through these waves where it's like, oh, this is this is working against modern defenses. This isn't. And only a few things really hold up over time. And the triple option offense, maybe in its most pure version, hasn't. 
but it it has these concepts that people still are poaching and honestly what is new about that west coast offense that sean McVay and kyle shanahan run is that they are throwing in those option uh offenses that you can trace back to the original option offense uh, offenses and the wishbone and the flexbone in the 80s and 90s you know and that's why I really do think that you can make that argument that it is the best offense of all time because two, three years from now, we might be able or let's let's change it. 10, 20 years from now, we might look back on what Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are doing and say, yep, that was a turning point. That was something that people are still pulling from now. Or they might not. We just don't know. It depends on how the game develops. But what we do know is that, you know, I think Air Raid is probably in that conversation, the triple option that uh, Air Coriel, starting with the Chargers back in the day, that Dan Fouts was really a part of. You know, there are these seminal offenses. West Coast offense, obviously, is definitely in there um, that people have been pulling from for a long time. Even if they aren't running in the same form, they've been very influential. Um Thanks for talking about this with me because nobody ever wants to. Um, the Buffs will put 60 on this team. Sure. I could see it. I could definitely see it. I mean, th the Air Force offense versus the Buffs defense, tough to predict. It all depends on whether the Buffs come out totally focused like we've seen them you know, in the second half of the Nebraska game or whether they come out and look like they did in the first half because if Nebraska was able to put up 17 on on them the way they were playing the way they were blowing assignments in the first half air force is going to put up 40 on them in the first half because that's what they do that's what they're built to do it doesn't matter too much if you're more talented because their their offensive linemen are diving at guys knees uh really the nose tackles the only person who's being blocked like a real football player by the center because he's just right there and that's your one block that you need to get down every single play uh, because that's the dive. He's, he's a guy who can fill up the, fill up the A-gaps and make it so that even if uh, your, their dive read isn't crashing because that, that'll be the defensive end, that'll be Mustafa Johnson or uh, Terrence Lang, he can still block up, block up the middle and take away that play and he's really the only guy who can do that. I'm going to re-explain that a little bit better because I'm not sure if that was clear. So when when you run the triple option, the first read is the defensive end, Mustafa Johnson or Terrence Lang, um, who will be left unblocked. And if he crashes toward the middle, then the quarterback keeps it and runs to where he was or just outside of where he was. And if he stays wide, then you hand off the ball to the fullback and he shoots up the middle for three, four yards, enough to keep the offense on pace. If Jalen Sami uh, gets off that block uh, from the center because he's lined up head on uh, on the center, then he can stuff that play no matter what the read is. And that's really only true of him on this entire defense. Um, everybody else is going to be cut block. They're a ways away from the play. Even if Nate Landman is right there in the middle, they're still giving up the three yards that is what Air Force is shooting for in that situation. Um, everybody else is left unblocked, or they're left uh, in, a, in another position where they can't just win their one-on-one -on -one assignment and make a play. And that's what's so great about this offense, is that you make the defense play with their brains instead of with their bodies. That's what's most important here. And... I mean, I'm confident in the buffs. This seems like the kind of game that a Mel Tucker defense is going to play very well in and just shut them down because they can be disciplined because that's what he is all about. But they haven't looked like it the first two games, and that's why there's reason to be concerned. And I think that's why the line is as close as it is because they haven't looked like they've been totally locked in, totally disciplined. Everybody knows their job. But the job's changed this week. The way you run your defense has changed. And that's what Tyson Summer was saying today is that, you know, this is a different form of defense than what they usually get to run. You have a guy who's assigned to each of these players, and it's going to be interesting, especially because Air Force doesn't run the same triple option that most of these other teams do. 
they're actually Tyson Summers. It was super interesting talking about him uh, or talking with him about this today. He said that back in 2015 when he played them, they were even less of a traditional triple option offense, but they've kind of regressed back toward that triple option. And so now they'll run the option out of the shotgun. They'll do it out of different formations. You know, they're showing this I formation uh, that they're running it. So you have the handoff to the fullback who's only a step behind you instead of in a traditional like halfback spot with guys on the outsides. They give different looks than most triple option offenses do. So, oh my, we've talked too much about this triple option, and I'm really sorry about that, but I love it, and this is going to be so much fun. I think the Buffs win. I don't think that there's a, as big of a gap between these two teams as some of you seem to, uh, but I want to hear, what do you guys think? Are you guys concerned? Do you guys think that I'm overhyping the ability of this scheme to make the Buffs Play with their minds instead of their bodies. I want to hear your takes uh, because that's what makes this podcast fun and it makes it less of me just talking at you by myself for a while. Uh, what I can say is that we have a couple guests coming up this week. Uh, Ryan Konigsberg is going to be on the show at some point. We don't know exactly when. Uh, Andre Simone and I will be doing a draft pod. Uh, I think Thursday we're taping it and I'm not sure if we're dropping it Thursday or Friday. But be on the lookout for that. Um, any other announcements? I can't think of anything. Buffs Fall Sports in a great spot. Uh, football in particular, you know, it's an exciting time, and I'm so happy that I get to be up in Boulder learning things that I can share with you guys. Uh, leave comments in the comment section of the post where I'm posting this podcast on bsendenver.com, and we'll read them tomorrow. Go ahead. Tell me that I had a dumb take and I'll talk for 20 minutes about why I think you're wrong. Uh, thanks again for riding with me. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. See ya. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly did a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh -huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.